Welcome to our first Whiskey Maker project. The project provides a rare glimpse into the mind of the Whiskey Maker. Alongside your library of elements is a small book, and we hope that our conversation today will add further insight into the way in which we make our whiskey at the lakes. Firstly, welcome and thank you all very much for joining us at the Lakes Distillery. Um, But specifically, a big thank you to you all for having the intrigue in and the curiosity into not just drinking whiskey, but developing your own understanding of the complex world of whiskey making. Our, Our time together through this project will hopefully give you just a small glimpse into just how complex a world this is, but will also give you access into the mind of a whiskey maker and one of his many research projects. I'm Kirsty Taylor. I've been working alongside Davil at the Lakes Distillery for over five years now. Afternoon, Davil. Good to be with you again today. It's always good to be with you. Good afternoon, Kirsty. Thank you. So... Davil, this is a complicated project, one of many complicated research projects that you've worked on over many, many years, but but certainly as well with um, the work that you've been doing since you joined us at the Lakes Distillery. I guess before we get into the detail of what this project really was all about... Shall we start by talking what this project is not? I think that is a very good way to start this. So first of all, uh, this project is not about showcasing the cask sitting at Lakes Warehouses. Uh, It is also not trying to educate anybody about what sherry wines are or the different flavors or characters of sherry casks. It is also not a finished product release. Uh, This might be a surprise to a lot of people, but this is a snapshot of a flavor or an element of a flavor in a a very closely controlled span of time. Okay, so if I could ask you, when you first joined us at the Lakes, it was a brand new distillery. There was obviously many, many questions that you had that needed answering. What was it that specifically, or which question was it that you specifically wanted answered that led to this project? I mean, there are many questions that I had in my head and there was uh, not a single area that I was trying to explore, but there were different levels or uh, different areas that I was trying to explore with this project. I think uh, one of the most important ones was to understand what would the lake's microclimate and the new mix spirit that we had at that time would do to the different casks and how would that behave with different casks. Now, this is a very important concept because when you talk about whiskey or single malt maturation, people think it's as simple as 
get some cast, put some new make, and out comes whiskey. But uh, single malt whiskey or new make will be different. It will behave differently to different oaks, to different treatments, to different microclimates. So even if I have the same cask and I use that to mature different new makes from around the world, you know, we are talking about the same specification of cask, uh, identical oak, identical toasting levels, identical seasoning times. They all will impart a very different characteristic style to the whiskey. So that was the fundamental thing that I was trying to understand is I knew sherry cask, but I wanted to understand how, how those sherry casks that I knew very well would behave with the new make spirit that Lakes had at that time. And, and was this therefore genuinely, in your mind, sort of one of the most important projects that you therefore did when you when you arrived at the Lakes Distillery? Because, you know, your area of expertise, I think it's quite commonly known, is sherry cask maturation. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But, you know, for those that, that know the Lakes well already and, and have read a little bit about your particular whiskey making techniques will understand just how important the cask is and the role that the cask plays. So would it be fair to assume that what you were trying to identify from what you're telling me is how how your theoretical knowledge of those casks genuinely applied to the new make spirit being made at the lakes and then taking into effect the influence of the environment in which those in which that spirit was being matured in that cask. Yeah, I think uh, any whiskey maker who comes to a new distillery. Now, there are two different ways of approaching this. One is if a whiskey maker is coming to an established, already established distillery that has been making single malt whiskey for a long time because by that time all the parameters are set in stone, the new make has been rationalized. Uh, so people know it's more predictable of what you want to achieve, how you would go about achieving that. But when you go to a new distillery that has never released biscuits, I think one of the first fundamental steps is to understand uh, what kind of cask, what kind of uh, maturation uh, process will work better for the new make. Second, uh, you know, I do a lot of work on sherry cask. Uh, and one of the things that I always wanted to do was to turn the whiskey on his head. And what I mean by that is uh, not looking at the new make and then finding a cask that works with it. I was always intrigued by the idea. How about I create whiskey from the flavor? And one of the analogies that I use, and I hope that is helpful to all the listeners here, is about cooking. If you look at uh, the Asian style of cooking, whether you take Indian and you have the chicken or the tofu or the meat as uh, something that gives you texture and it is the masala or the spices that give you all the flavor and that's how you make it uh, you know, complex and flavorful. Well, uh, some of the dishes, let's say if you have a grilled salmon, uh, you know, it's more grilled and you are trying to get the flavor and the texture from the meat itself without the use of spices. So there is one way of approaching whiskey making where you focus on getting the new make uh, to the desired character and the style that you want. And then you pair it with a cask that works with it and enhances those new make characters. 
my approach was the other way around. I wanted uh, the wood to do all that work. I know that means putting all the eggs in one basket, but that's a way of making a different stylistic character of whiskey. And that was this project that we did. And I think it's more of an exercise and a project. Uh, this was fundamental to that work as well, to push forward that work, that idea, that flavor can be created through oak. And, and is it just flavor that you were focusing on? Because, you know, having, having developed this into the elements library that our listeners have got in front of them today, you know, from, from reading that book, which hopefully people have had an opportunity to do so already, it feels like, you know, flavour is one dimension in what it was you actually are working with when you're blending. Was that, were, were there very specific nuances that came out as a result of this project that helped develop your own understanding of the role that those individual sherry season casks can play as blending components? I think it's a, a complicated uh, question to answer. Uh, I mean, every single day as a whiskey maker is a day you learn. And, you know, I, you know, I firmly believe in this quote uh, that uh, we are uh, apprentice uh, in a craft where no one ever becomes a master. And uh, it's a learning day. You learn new things. You add on to what you already know. But uh, like you said, this is more than flavor. It's about texture. And, uh, you know, I have always been fascinated by nuances. Um, and, you know, I like to tinker uh, and I thrive in complexity. So this was to understand and unlock what a sherry cask can give uh, to the consumer, to a blender. Because uh, if we talk about sherry cask in general, uh, people associate sherry cask with just Oloroso or PX. So when you when you when you talk to someone about sherry cask whiskies, it's always darker, heavier, richer style. But in fact, sherry often uh, offers uh, a vast array of flavors and nuances and textures uh, that are truly amazing. And uh, something that is my vision to create uh, a sherry-led whiskey, which is completely different to what the contemporary notion is about whiskey it's uh, lighter elegant it has nuances and it is not overpowered by sherry sherry is just helping it achieve the different dimensions and the depth and the complexity uh, that you people don't associate with sherry casks okay so to help everyone at home just understand a bit more i think it's it's important to clarify that the library that hopefully you've got in front of you today, you know, it, this was not designed, was it, Davil, as a consumer product. I think it's really worth everyone understanding that, okay? And and I think, Davil, if you bear with me, my next question, and it, it's important, I want people to understand this because of my next question, but when you worked on this research project and you sort of got to a point in time, I remember you and I having the conversation and you were like, this is interesting. Why wouldn't we try and share this with people out there who have that curiosity, who have that desire to 
broaden and deepen their knowledge um, of whiskey making. But can you just give us a bit of insight, Davil? Because obviously we've only got seven, um, you know, cask types in front of us. But the research, the project itself and the research was significantly broader and more complicated than that, wasn't it? Can you, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. And I think uh, before I start, I think I would like to clarify that uh, this project or the exercise uh, and what you have in front of you this library is not a blending kit so uh, just by mixing a different cask please don't expect to get a whiskey maker reserve out of that <laughs> it's not that's not the point um, now going to curse your question about what happens in blending I mean blending is one of the most misunderstood uh, things there's a lot of black art there's a lot of mystical things going on it's not science it's not clearly defined if you are a kind of person who needs certain results from the lab to make a decision probably blending is not it's very philosophical it's very intuitive it's like cooking there's a big difference between uh, making uh, pasta uh, in a big manufacturing plant uh, that you can put in a microwave and there is a big difference in cooking pasta for your son or daughter who is coming home uh, from university or coming and visiting you. There's a very different intuitive mindset. So that's what blending is all about. Now, uh, this started, uh, you know, this exercise is very broad uh, and it had different cast, different uh, types, different seasoning levels. Now, it is very complicated uh, for a blender to explain that, to bring it out to a consumer. But I think, Kirsty, you and I uh, were uh, talking one day in the lab while I was working on this project, and we thought this would be something very interesting for a, a whiskey drinker who wants to elevate their knowledge, who wants to go a little bit more deeper, get an insight into what happens in a whiskey maker's mind to get an idea about how these things work. So that's how this project was sort of conceived. So... Why seven? Uh, because I thought seven would be good enough mix of casks to showcase a different style or a texture or aroma that a blender would, um, you know, prefer while blending. Now, uh, please don't think about that. These are the only seven casks required, uh, because one of the things, you know, I was very curious when I came to the whiskey industry. I always wanted to compare apples to apples, right? So what I wanted to do was uh, create uh, a whiskey that had the same new make, but put into different casks. Right now, I can go to the market and find a single malt whiskey that has been matured in Manzanilla or a single malt whiskey matured in Oloroso. Now, some people compare that. You can't compare those two whiskeys because the new make is different. The maturation microclimate is different. The cask makeup might be different. I always had this thought about why don't uh, someone think about keeping all parameters the same, controlling all parameters and only changing one thing. And that's why we conceived this. So what we did here was blended uh, uh, a spirit, a maturing spirit, a lake single malt spirit, uh, so everything was consistent. And then we filled seven casks on the same day. Uh, so the new make is the same. 
we filled that on the same day. Uh, the casts were uh, delivered on the same day from Bodega. So there was no uh, few cast manufacturers earlier. They were all kind of seasoned at the right time. And then we matured in the same warehouse in a very similar location on the same height. So we have tried to keep all the parameters same. The only thing that is different is the specification of the cask. Right. And, and, and the specification of the cask is predominantly about the seasoning of those casks. Yes. Uh, using different sherry wines. Yeah. And I think uh, using different sherry wines, uh, different seasoning, different oaks. But now if I, you know, we had different oaks, uh, Spanish oak, European oak, uh, American oak, but then the project would become very, very big for a, for a consumer to, uh, you know, to understand it. It becomes too complex. So to keep things simple... I just kept, uh, for for the sake of this experiment uh, that we are sharing with you, I just selected seven American oak casks. The only difference is the seasoning process. So all parameters were controlled, all identical, with purely the seasoning style of the um, individual cask, of the, each seven casks being different as determined by the sherry wine that was used to season those casks. Yes, the only thing uh, that was different was the seasoning. They were even matured for the same period of time. Uh, And they were taken, every single liquid was taken out of the cask on the same day itself. So everything is identical. And were they hogsheads or butts or? These are all butts. Okay, and does that make a difference, Davil, or not? This is just purely about having them in the same parameter. Yeah, so I think... uh, the one one thing we could have done is put everything in hogshead, but actually traditionally the sherry cast, uh, fino, uh, manthania, they don't come in hogsheads. They only come in, um, you know, sherry butts. So I wanted to keep everything same. So they were all sherry butts. Okay. Could we perhaps just talk through each of the the seven whiskies that we've got in front of us? Um, firstly, can I ask you, Davo, was there a rationale behind? Or a reason behind uh, numbers one to seven? Yeah, I think uh, the sequence does matter in some places. Um, uh, most of the time it doesn't matter. The reason we decided to just number the bottles is uh, because we didn't want people to go and pick the style they like. So I know a lot of people might like an Oloroso or they might see a Palo Cortado or they might just have that bottle. The reason here is not to showcase a Palo Cortado style whiskey. Uh, the whole idea was to number it so that you can use it as a library to understand the nuances and a character. And I want to stress the point that you might not like certain characters in the whiskey that you are about to taste. I mean, you might not like, you know, I'm just saying you might pick a Fino and you might think, okay, I don't like this. This is, this is nothing to do with the wine that you drink. This is highlighting a specific nuance, a character that I think is important for blending the way or the style that I have developed in blending. So we wanted this to be more of a library. So that's why accompanied by a book. So you can read about that and you can try the whiskeys. Now, uh, you can drink the way you want. You can, you can uh, you know, pick and choose if you want to go straight and have number six, have that number six. But you know, you want to start with the lighter characters and then go to the heavier characters because the moment you go to something like an Oloroso or PX that is heavy and intense in character and then suddenly you try to uh, try a delicate style like a Fino or Manthania, 
you won't you won't pretty much your palate won't pick up those nuances so i would i would recommend you starting with the lighter and then going to the heavier styles and that's why they have been number one to set davil were there only seven casks involved in this project Oh no, uh, the cast, there were myriad of options, uh, different seasoning uh, options, different oaks, different sizes. Uh, however, for the purpose of this uh, exercise, this uh, elements project, I wanted to showcase a selection of uh, aromas, textures and flavors. Uh, so I selected seven to keep things simple. So to be clear, there are not only seven specifications of sherry seasoning in the Lakes Warehouse right now that you're using when you are blending our finished bottled whiskies. Yeah, so this uh, that's all uh, specifications are quite different. Uh, there are different nuances, but if I try to uh, share those right now, it will become quite complicated because uh, blending is very simple at its very heart, but you can make it as complicated as you want. And what that complication allows you to do is uh, think about this as a knob uh, of a flavor or a knob of a you know volume but volume knob that you have. You can tune things up and down through changing the seasoning specifications, and it becomes uh, a super complex project. So again, uh, just reiterating, these are all single malt whiskies. Uh, these are not single cask. And these are seven selected samples that you can enjoy and you can have a glimpse into what happens uh, into, the, uh, into the studio of a whiskey blender. All the parameters are controlled with the exception of the sherry wine seasoning. So can we start exploring that a little bit deeper, Davil? And maybe if we start with um, bottle number one, because um, you'd recommend that we do go through the numbers. Yeah, I would, I would at least, uh, when you are experiencing this for the first time, uh, go through the number. And then if you want, it, use it as a, uh, as a dictionary or as, a, as your reference material. You won't always start with, uh, you know, letter A. Uh, you just want to find the word. So once you go through the whole thing, understand, enjoy it. And then, you know, you can use it the way you want it. Uh, so this is more of your library. I would I would like to see these bottles open in people's houses. Uh, use it as a conversational piece. You can talk about it, talk around it. Uh, when you're with friends who, uh, you know, want have the same passion of whiskey as you do, just, uh, you know, go in much more deeper and uh, keep the conversation going. That's the point. Fantastic. Before we start drinking these whiskies, Davo, would you recommend we have water alongside it? Should we dilute it? I think I wanted to keep all the parameters the same. Uh, so if you notice, every single bottle is at 54%. This will allow you to compare apples to apples and understand the nuances and flavors that each type of cask will bring so i would recommend first uh, nose it taste it add the strength that we have bottled it and then after that you want to enjoy you can dilute it and enjoy the any way you please so if we start with bottle number one davil so um this whiskey has been matured 
in Fino Sherry Wine. Yes, this whiskey uh, for number one is Fino. And if you look at it, it's quite light and it's very delicate. So how do you use Fino matured whiskey when you're blending? What, what role does it play as one of your components? I think think about, uh, you know, let's talk about Fino and cream. Fino and cream, uh, cream is number five, uh, you know, from a blending perspective. I'm talking as a blending perspective. I use that for space and breath. Uh, think about this. You have a, you know, fruit salad with custard. Sort of this is your custard where the fruit floats around. So this is your space. Uh, this is your, it, it sets your boundary. It holds everything together. So that's how I use. And again, it's very important to point out here that the Fino here is not designed to be enjoyed or drank as it is right now. This is just one component, one Lego brick that we will use to construct uh, a different thing. So this is just brings in one element to the game. So again, this gives you more space, more breadth. Uh, think about, uh, you know, if you have a, a painting, this is your the, the landscape, the, the sky, the blue sky. That so this is one dimension, one dimension of the overall piece of artwork, which ultimately is the, 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 the finished single malt that you blend and that you want people to enjoy as a whiskey maker. This is only one component of that finished piece of artwork. Of that finished piece of artwork. So now, hence it is very one dimensional, yes? Yeah, it is one dimensional. Each and every element that you see here is one dimensional. They are sort of serving a purpose. Uh, you know, so uh, that's how I would like to take it. Now, uh, some of you might have noticed uh, there is a bit of smoky character coming through in this whiskey, number one. Uh, this is the same unpeated single malt that we have, but in the cast specification is a toasting uh, that is creating that smoky character, uh, specifically for this Fino. So this, this cask has been designed to create a flavor profile. I hope that makes sense. Well, I think it just highlights just how complicated it all is. Um, so, as you say, the, the Fino and the cream sherries pr help provide space and, and boundary and, and breadth when used as a, as a blending component. If we just move on to the second whiskey, the role of that whiskey, is that quite different? Yeah, even though Fino and Manthania, you know, you can compare them from a winemaking perspective, but uh, for me... Manthania, one of my favorite wines and favorite casks as well. It gives amazing aromatic lift. It has nuances. It has a texture. It has salinity. So if you knows it, it's more crisp. It's defined. It's like a sort of a, like a taking a bite out of a jazz apple. You know, crisp. It has right acidity. It has very defined texture. Now, this is important when you blend it. And that is very different to the Fino and I guess that what you've just told us highlights the importance of the different roles that these all play because this is about aroma more so than flavour I think there's a there's a big misconception that you know for sherry matured whiskies and, and in fact that the use of any seasoning in casks 
is all about flavour. And I guess if it was that easy, you would just pour a bottle into the cask, right? But this highlights the complexity or, or, the, or the, 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 the function of the wood, right? And do you want to explain a bit more about how the oak has such a significant role to play? And, and it's, this is as much about the relationship of the sherry wine and the oak as it is then about the maturing spirits and the oak. Yeah, I think uh, maturation in its own right is a, is a very deep subject with different elements or different parameters going um, together. The first is definitely the oak, uh, you know, different kinds of oak, uh, whether it's American, European, Spanish, Hungarian, Romanian, they all will bring a different element or different characteristic to the maturing spirit. Then again, uh, the microclimate where you uh, mature it, uh, that will give its own uh, uh, type uh, and stylistic character. The new make will have its own impact. Uh, the the construction process, how do you construct those cars? What kind of fire you light? Uh, what are the toasting levels? That will have a very different uh, you know, character coming through. You can also have different characters coming through from the seasoning process. What kind of wine you use? What is a blend of wine? What is the acidity of those wines? So there are this a long list of fermentation combinations that you can do. But for some people, it can be daunting. For me, it allows me and it excites me because I can even dial down on those nuances uh, to the character and the style that I want to do. And Davil, how did you learn all of this? Like, where where did this start from? It, 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 were you taught this or was it research? Like, how much of it was desktop research? How much was it just through your experience of a whiskey maker? And you've obviously worked extensively with Bodegas and, and specifically on sherry cast maturation. How much of it is desktop learning and how much of it just comes through experience and being taught by other whiskey makers? I think uh, most of it is experience. I think uh, whiskey blending, uh, like I said, whiskey behaves differently. The new make behaves differently, cars behave differently uh, in different environments. So you have to try to, first of all, understand what happens when you change the environment and then find out which environments are suitable for the particular type of cask. And I think uh, a good analogy is looking at uh, materials for dresses. You know, uh, you can have a cotton, uh, you can have silk, you can have chiffon, you can have, uh, you know, linen. When you drape all that, uh, the, the effect that you get is very different. Uh, now, that's, a, that's the same thing uh, when you talk about whiskey making. Uh, it's mostly with experience. I'm uh, I'm blessed and grateful to have uh, one of my mentors in Spain, in Hereth, uh, who who imparts a lot of his knowledge, uh, and also mostly to do with the personality. I like to go deeper into a subject, and I don't think uh, I'm just scratching the surface. So there's a lot more to learn. <laughs> okay, so if we move back to bottle number three. So this has been matured in an Amontillado seasoned cask. Uh, Amontillado is very, very different. 
it gives you a much more uh, fleshy texture. It's also quite oily. Think about this as taking a bite. You know, like I described Manthania, it's uh, taking a bite of a jazz apple. This is more of a grapefruit, you know. It's fleshy, it is, has a defined character, it has delicate nuances, but quite smooth and round edges. And does that, when, when you're using this particular um, elements in your blending, is it that sort of oiliness and that sort of textural aspect that you look for in your creations? Yeah. And I guess depending on what you're creating and what your design brief is, you, you want that oiliness and texture to various different degrees. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think oiliness is quite important, specifically when you have a philosophy of oak-led maturation or oak-led whiskies. Um, you know, oils help, uh, you know, balance out the tannins and a lot of characteristics from the wood. So this is a character that I always prize, um, you know, oiliness, waxiness, heaviness, those help you balance out some other characters that are coming through. Some might be very sharp, some might be very heavy, uh, some might be much more deeper. But this is the one I would describe is as taking a bite through a grapefruit. So bottle number four, which sherry wine was this seasoned in? This is Palo Cortado. Okay, interesting. So Palo Cortado, you know, very much a respected wine in the sherry industry. Can you tell me a little bit more about Palo Cortado? Okay, I think to understand Palo Cortado, uh, let's understand a bit more about Oloroso. Oloroso is the most uh, common, widely used uh, sherry cask you know, for maturation of whiskey. And, uh, you know, it's rightly so. It's one, I call it the king of sherry cask for, for making whiskey because it gives you the backbone, the structure, the foundations that you can build upon. Think about this, this is your very foundations where you can build all the other things and other flavors on. And for me, in this uh, elemental series of seven, for me, Palo Cortado also plays a very similar role to Oloroso. In fact, it plays an even more important role than Oloroso. So Palo Cortado becomes the the backbone, the, the skeleton or the structure where I can base and build all those other flavors onto. And, and is that because of the intensity of it that it enables you to use it almost as a core element? Yeah, I think uh, there is a very clear kind of line or a baseline or a structure uh, which is quite useful you know, whenever we build any foundations, whether you build a bridge or whether you're building a building, um, it, uh, the most important thing is the foundations because you build the rest of the walls and everything on those foundations. Uh, think about the Fino we uh, tasted, the Mantania, Amontillado, and other whiskies we are tasting. They will bring their own individual characters. Some would act as a brick, some would act as concrete, some would act as wooden beams. Uh, so that if, if you take that analogy, this is your foundations. So and, and is it that the lighter styles just don't have the robustness to provide that core structure? Yeah, I, w- I would like to think so. Uh, because lighter styles are very important for delicate nuances. Uh, while the heavier styles are important for a lot of mouthfeel characteristics, a lot of backbone characters, and also a structure to the wine. 
Structure is very important. Uh, you know, if you have a car, and again, taking uh, analogy further into the automotive world, if you have a car with a very loose chassis, it won't become a good sports car. For a sports car to corner it, uh, to go into different spaces at different speed, you need a very firm chassis. And similar to that, for a good single malt whiskey, you need a firm character and a chassis. And that is given by Oloroso, or in the case of this element, it's Palo Cortado. Whiskey number five is cream sherry. Mm. Now, I literally say cream sherry with a bit of a smile on my face. It's a massively misunderstood sherry, probably because of a certain brand out in the marketplace. And for those of us of a certain age, we'll remember it fondly from the 80s and 90s. Can you just help us understand a little bit more about cream sherry? Yeah, cream sherry is not uh, not used as much and probably because it is misunderstood, uh, like you suggest. But cream uh, adds a boundary. Uh, it's not as defined as fino. If you think about fino uh, and we compare, this is more like melons in a fruit salad, you know? Uh, sometimes you have uh, things like pineapples, which have very distinctive characters, some which have much more sharper characters like strawberries, some have a little bit of tartness coming through. But melons are things that balances out everything. They are, they are kind of, uh, I, I would not like to call it a filler material, but uh, something that balances out the other. It gives a boundary and that's what cream sherry brings. From a flavour perspective, mm. Davil, that there is a flavour element to it as well that I, I, I haven't I haven't come across in in the prior four whiskies. Yeah. Do you do you use cream for its flavourable flavour aspects as well, or or is it purely about its you know its bigger function in the sense of being that sort of binding element and and helping add sort of a boundary to the other components. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of flavor, it is somewhere between sort of, you know, it's it's not as drier as a Palo Cortado. It's also not as sweet uh, or rich as Oloroso. It helps as a binding agent. Uh, it helps as something of an enabler for whiskeys. So I look at that not for a particular flavor, but to hold all the other flavors together, all the structures right. together. So it plays a, a very important supportive role. Yeah, okay, I understand that's clear. I mean, again, that's fascinating in its own right. So if, if we move on to number six, PX. So again, PX comes with lots of preconceptions, which is why... As Davil said earlier, we, we haven't named the labels. Um, and again, there's a lot of misunderstanding of PX as everyone automatically jumps the conclusion that the role of PX as a, as a blending component is about sweetness. And, and people automatically jump to the character of the drinking sherry, not necessarily of the impact that the seasonings had on the wood and therefore on the maturing whiskey spirit you know talk talk me through this what, what we're looking at here and why and how you use px matured whiskies in your blending so uh, first of all you'll notice there's a big 
a shift in the color profile, right? So uh, yes, it's from huge. number one to number five were not as deep and dark, and now suddenly you have this uh, darker. Of course, it has to do with uh, the toasting levels, different oaks, also the wine. Uh, now PX, uh, you know, a lot of people think PX is an easy way out where you use it and it completely overpowers the new make and it tastes like PX. I agree with that. And for me, in this sense of this elemental building blocks, I think PX and Oloroso pay more of a supporting role than a more central role. And PX, I prize it for texture. Um, you know, the texture, the mouthfeel uh, that I can get and achieve through using PX cask in different combination. Uh, it brings out everything together. So even though uh, you know, PX is associated with a lot of rich dry fruit aromas, um, you know, uh, raisins, sultanas, uh, figs. But as a blending component, it allows me to blend in the textural element. It brings in that the smoothness, the richness to the whiskey. The, the richness is incredibly noticeable. And that creamy mouthfeel. Mm. Um, and, and even... Davo, when you, you talk about how it's so important to you from a mouthfeel perspective, it, is it the PX component that gives you that very long finish? The long finish can be achieved uh, different ways. Uh, it can come from new make. You can have uh, different cut points you can achieve, but you can also achieve through use of different oaks. Right. Uh, you know, use of French oak, uh, anything with more tannins can allow you to create a finish. But PX, uh, to a certain extent, does help you with that. But, it, you know, my this, this vision of creating sherry casks, which are not the style that you know of, this plays just a supporting role. It's just to add the textural element and a, a dimension to the whiskey rather than adding all the primary flavors to the whiskey. So it's very much... Going back to your cooking analogy, it's 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 a it, you use it in the way you would use a seasoning. It's used sparingly, yeah. um, rather than a core component around which you build the whiskey. Yeah. And I think uh, while we are at it, before we go on number seven, uh, which is the last one, but uh, Oloroso, very very important uh, from a whiskey making perspective. Would like to point out that uh, the way. Uh, I blend is more like uh, cooking. Uh, I don't have a recipe. Uh, we don't, uh, you know, have a spreadsheet that says 10% of this cask and 50% of that. That is fine. I'm not saying that that's the wrong way of doing it. That's just not my way. Mine is more intuitive. So I have all these different elements sitting on a blending table when I start creating the whiskeys. And then just like cooking and intuitively putting, okay, I think it needs a little bit more texture. It needs a little bit more aromatic lift. It needs a mouthfeel. It needs a dry fruit character. Then I can use uh, the particular set of components that I have created to blend those together. And that's how the Whiskey Maker Reserve or any of the Whiskey Maker editions that we have created were born that way. So Davo, just... If you don't mind, if we can just expand on that a little bit further. Your whiskey making process is very design-led. It starts in our studio and it starts with a, a concept or an idea or a moment of inspiration 
or an emotion that you're looking to recreate. Give us a bit of insight then into how your thought process works and and how your knowledge of all these different elements that you have at your disposal in our warehouse, which just to clarify is significantly greater than the seven in front of you today. It's a lot more complicated than that. But can you just give us a little bit of insight into how your thought process then takes you from design concept through to the finished product? Yeah, I think uh, it's a big question. So I think let's let's uh, divide and conquer there. I think one is Whiskey Maker Reserve. The way I approach Whiskey Maker Reserve is very different than the way I approach Whiskey Maker's Editions. Now, Whiskey Maker Reserve, I'm trying to create a predefined style or a stylistic character. So if you if you have tasted Whiskey Maker Reserve one all the way to the current edition, uh, they all have the same thread of DNA going through them, but they have that slight nuances or differences in character, and they were purposely designed to be that way. So when I approach it, I am after a particular style of creation. And sometimes as a blender, you don't have all the cards that you require in a makeup. And this is specifically true when you don't have a recipe to create that. But through blending, as you can see, I can use the seven components here to create the desired character that I want to create for that particular type of liquid. So where I'm going with this is Whiskey Maker Reserve is much more defined style. So I'm trying to, whenever I'm trying to create it, I'm trying to recreate the same Mm. thing. Think about that uh, is you're creating uh, a pasta bolognese. But sometimes you might not have one or two ingredients, but you might try to find something substitute and try to make the same thing that tasting the same thing. While creating Whiskey Maker Edition is, I call it artwork or, uh, you know, it's not even design, it's more like art, where I might have inspiration from a book or an idea or a flavor I'm trying to create. Then the, my, my go-to way of doing it is I'll look at what I have. Uh, and how can I create or enhance those characters, flavors, profiles? Sometimes you don't. We never create. You know, my style is never to have a single cask. So we have never released a single cask. Everything is blended because I like to play with blending. And uh, if I need, let's say, a textural character uh, that is lacking in a whiskey, I might use some PX card or I can also use Oloroso and cream to create the similar texture style. So that's where the fun of blending comes into play, that you don't need to have everything predefined and filled in the cask. You can use your creativity to recreate certain characters. And if you think about this, uh, all the seven whiskeys that you have tasted right now, they come from the same new make spirit. But look how different they are when you put one next to each other. Similar to that, every single Whiskey Maker Reserve, including the Genesis, including all the Whiskey Makers edition, whether you like Ricardo, whether you like Sequoia, whether you like Balmask, everything was created from the same Numix spirit. The only thing different was the blending and the way the casks were put together. Some of them, you'd be surprised to find out that some of them also have similar cast makeups. Is just how you put those together mm. can change the flavor and character. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. Should we go on to the last Oloroso, one. the last one? Now, Oloroso, uh, you know, uh, it's always going to be uh, one of my favorite uh, 
you know, after month and year. Oloroso is, brings in acidity, uh, structure, dimension, a good chassis, uh, a good skeletal system so you can put your muscles and fat on it. Uh, it's not thicker, if you notice one thing, it's not thick from a nose as well. It's not heavy, it's not, uh, it's quite vibrant. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't have that. It doesn't have the same richness that from from the PX. Yeah, and uh, when you have PX, there are certain uh, heavier characters. Like I can, you know, I'm just looking at number six here. You have coffee, and you have dark chocolate, and you have nutmeg. All those characters coming through, but on Oloroso, there's more like orange peel. Uh, there is a bit of dry fruit character. There is uh, dates coming through, but much more on the lighter restrained side. This is giving you much more balance and structure. Davo, Oloroso, you said earlier, is the most commonly um, used um, sherry seasoning in the whiskey industry. Why is that? It depends on the whiskey making philosophy. Uh, a lot of people, you know, are after the you know, the sweeter, the drier, the the characteristics that sherry cask are known for, you know, dry fruits, sultanas, raisins, and Oloroso delivers them. And Oloroso works with different kinds of new mix spirit. If it's a heavy new mix spirit, if it's a light new mix spirit, you can get some amazing whiskies on it. But again, it can be one dimension. And that's where the blending needs to come into play to add complexity to the game. Because if I just put everything in Oloroso, it becomes quite quite boring, to be honest. Uh, so having everything else allows it to bring it, you know, all different characters to shine through. So that's why I think Oloroso is widely used, and I, I love Oloroso. Uh, Whiskey Maker Reserve series that we have, Oloroso is the backbone of most of the Sherry Lad whiskies that we have created. Oloroso is the very heart of it. Devil. Were there any surprise results or any surprise findings that you had from this project? You're clearly highly experienced in this. You you knew exactly what you expected these casks to do, but you didn't know, as you said earlier, how the nuances that would come from the lake's new make spirit in combination with being matured in the Lake District National Park and our warehousing. Were, were there any surprise results or, or was it really about just getting into that forensic level detail so that you could truly understand how they're all those components of the new make and the oak and the seasoning and the environment came together? I think it was both. Uh, I think it was getting into that complexity of understanding the depth and, uh, you know, the amount of variability uh, that is there available at the disposal of a blender to create. But uh, to answer your first question, uh, was any, I think probably not surprise findings, but important key findings uh, I would call for the lakes. Uh, one is, you know, think about this. When you go to buy a car, uh, you know, we all have had our share of car buying in the future. We look at car reviews in car magazines. We'll look at YouTube videos. And sometimes the reviews might be perfect. It might be the most reliable, most luxurious with all the kit that you want. But when you go and drive it, 
something doesn't feel right. It's not the right car for you. Similar to that, uh, for Lakes, I found out that with the Numix Spirit, American Oak was more suitable. It, it, it felt in place with American Oak. And I think that was quite a big uh, sort of uh, important learning that I then developed all the styles accordingly. Because uh, people think that just because uh, a type of oak and a type of sherry specification works at one distillery doesn't mean it is going to work for someone else. You just have to find the right where you can enhance and showcase the, the very distillate character without making it too overpowered by the oak or extraction process. So that's, I think, uh, probably important learning for the lakes going forward. Did that cause you any operational complexity? So I think there's a, you know, a lot of misconception that um, American oak goes into bourbon casks and, you know, obviously we're very sherry focused. Does the fact that you're, you're sherry seasoning American oak casks does does that just add complexity or yeah i think it's important to clarify here so when i say american oak i am not referring to ex-bourbon cask or casks that are coming from uh, united states this is american oak shipped to spain to create the cask and then have uh, sherry made if you look at the actually cask uh, the bodega cask uh, that we also use that are used for sherry industry for the sherry wines they're all american oak because american oak is most suitable for those wines right uh, most of the wines that we do a fino cask that is used uh, for the fino wines uh, is made up of american oak not of and, and is that oak. because of the lighter nature of those those sherry wines and if you put them into french or spanish oak then the The porosity of those oak would just overpower the wine and also there's a lot of tannins in european oak and a lot of people think uh, you know uh, that european oak is the only oak used in uh, sherry cask it's not i mean you know american oak can give it uh, fascinating characters i think what's very interesting for me davil as a as not a whiskey maker or an expert in any sense whatsoever is I, I look at these seven whiskies in front of me and as we said earlier they are incredibly one-dimensional but whilst they're one-dimensional they're actually multi-dimensional in their own right because there are flavor nuances there are textural aspects there are roles that they're playing as blending components be that um, a structure or boundaries or creating mouthfeel and fleshiness but I think certainly from my perspective what it really highlights is truly what you create when you're blending these together because they're definitely not a finished product and I don't just mean that in a technical sense I mean as a whiskey drinker as a consumer they don't feel to me like a finished product and they certainly I I can't look at any one of these individual elements and go oh that's like whiskey makers reserve or that's like Legoute it's not like any of the finished creations that we've bottled you know what what was that part of your um thinking when when you decided that at the end of your research and your project, actually, this would be 
interesting for drinkers who want to go deeper into understanding in the mindset of a whiskey making was that part of your thinking did you want to use this to help illustrate the complexities and nuances of blending or was it just about helping people understand and learn about different components yeah i think a very interesting question uh, first of all you know, I'm a whiskey geek before I became a whiskey maker. And it's always fascinated me. And I was always fascinated when I would look at a pictures or a video of a blending studio. And I would want to see what's going on in those bottles. You know, there are all this, even at the whiskey studio at Lex, there are you know thousands of bottles sitting in the studio, in each bottle showing a distinctive character, a style. So I was always curious to understand what would what would be in those bottles what if i can taste those unfinished areas or uh, taste those building blocks of those uh, whiskies so this was the opportunity to showcase to the geeks out there of this is what a blending table looks like this is what the whiskies on the table look like they are never finished product this is how you start creating your your sort of masterpiece out of these building blocks. Uh, I just want to leave one thought uh, to give you the idea or the sheer complexity uh, that's sitting out in those sample rooms out there. Now, again, every sample room is personal. Whiskey making is subjective. Everybody has their own. All the blenders will have their own way of approaching things, but this is just my way of approaching. So start with this idea that I have, the first thing I choose is oak, all right? So I might choose an American. Uh, in America, I can choose West Coast or East Coast. Even in East Coast, I can have different areas that I select. Uh, you can go into European oak uh, and Spanish, French, Romanian. You have different oaks. Then the other complexity level is your air seasoning times. So this is even before you season the cask with the wine, this is the air seasoning. So when the logs come from the stave mills, they're put out uh, in the open air for a year, two years, three years, four years. That will all change the parameters and the flavors that you get. Then it's a cask construction process. Uh, you know, what kind of fire you use? Do you use gas? Do you use log fire? Do you use wood chips? What are the temperatures? What are... Uh, you know, uh, do you steam? What At what temperature do you use the steam? That's going to change uh, the flavor profile. Then it's all about the wine, which grapes are being used, when the wines were planted, what was the harvest like, um, you know, how the blend uh, ratio is of the wines, what is the acidity level of those wines. That is going to change. Then after that, it's the seasoning process. How long is the cast season which wine was used first in the seasoning it is uh, probably not a common uh, uh, understanding but uh, common knowledge that sometimes oloroso is used first in the seasoning and then certain heavier characters like px and uh, other wines are used in the same cask so how the wines are used and then how long before you start filling it with the new make uh, where you fill the new make, uh, what is the strength of the new make. You can fill at 63, you can fill at 45, you can fill at 48. Uh, and where you store the cask, are you storing uh, near a humid area, a dry area? Now, try to 
in your own head or using a calculator the amount of permutation and combination possible to a blender that's what goes into the mind of a blender and that's what allows you to create nuances and delicate characters uh, just from oak so this seven was selected for a reason we can go and have 700 next time <laughs> i think we'll just leave it at that devil i think you've probably blown all our minds into um complexity i think you know right now i'm i'm, I'm going back a few years but i'm I'm visualizing those days where I had two young boys and I, and I had about a couple of thousand Lego bricks all over the floor and I sort of threw the task at them to to build me something from them and and it, it, from what you've just described it feels very much like that scenario. So I think probably on that note, I mean, firstly, thank you, Davil. Thank you for sharing with us the insight that's been derived from this project. Um, for sharing your knowledge and your experiences as a whiskey maker. And I think, you know, even more importantly, thank you for allowing us, um, I guess, the access to this whiskey, which is rare as a concept. It, it is certainly very rare for us at the Lakes Distillery because our focus, as you said earlier, is not on, on single cask and these are not single casks and it is all about on the creation of that finished product and and this project has allowed you know a, a small hand, handful of us who've who've bought into this idea access to the elements a very small proportion of those elements that you use as your blending components so thank you very much indeed because that is rare indeed and and as ever with you devil every day is a school day and it's always um, a huge learning experience so thank you very much to you and thank you very much indeed to everyone who is with us on this project I genuinely hope that you have found this fascinating uh, not only with us today but the reason why we put them in this size of bottle was so that it is a reference so that you can continually refer back to each of these seven bottles that you can grow and develop your own knowledge and understanding, not just of how whiskey is created, but the complexities of it. And, and this is, as Davil says, just a mere snapshot into the mind of one project at one point in time. But thank you for your curiosity. And we'd love to hear more from you. By all means, reach out to us at the Lakes Distillery with any questions. And we will do our very best to hopefully find other ways in the future to share insight and knowledge as we move forward on our own whiskey journey. So thank you very much indeed to you all. <laughs>